When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Every single day we receive information about the world that is deeply disturbing. And for me, there are simply few rivals to deeply disturbing than the reality of child sex trafficking. And I'll confess, I only like to read the articles or watch the news clips where children are rescued. I tend to ignore the reports about statistics because I feel helpless to make a difference. And to be further honest, I overlook the fact that when a child is rescued, the work to freedom has only begun. I mean, who am I anyway? One person can't possibly make a difference in such an incredible underground network. But all that has changed after having the opportunity to speak with the founders of Safe House Project, Christy Wells and Brittany Dunn. Safe House Project, or SHP, is an anti-sex trafficking organization with the aggressive goal to eradicate child sex trafficking in America by 2030. I'm over here whining about being only one person, but Christy and Brittany are busy uniting communities, corporations, and individuals to end domestic sex trafficking. With regard to people like you and I who want to show our support, Brittany and Christy simplify the process because they find great value in the gifts and talents of others. As a matter of fact, they rely on people to show up with their unique experiences, backgrounds, knowledge, believing that the skill set they already have in place is what will equip them to help not only slow down the evil of child sex trafficking, but to end it. Every July 30th is World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. Safe House Project takes part in the march to bring awareness to the trafficking of children. If your heart is moved to stand up for the innocent lives in this way, join the march in a location nearest you. You don't have to raise money for this march, but I'll be making a personal donation. For my local listeners here in the southeastern part of Virginia, join me on July 30th in Town Point Park, closest to Nauticus from 4 to 6 p.m. The city of Norfolk has authorized a march in support of World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. Mayor Kenneth Alexander has taken an aggressive stance, even challenging other local mayors to eradicate human trafficking in their cities by 2025. Let's join together across the nation in a unified march for the lives of our most precious ones, literally our future. Hey, it's a new day because individual people like you and I can indeed make a difference and Safe House Project equips us to do just that. Listen in to discover the beauty, the heart, and the mission behind Safe House Project. My time with Christy and Brittany was limited, so stop by their website to discover even more. Visit their website at safehouseproject, one word, safehouseproject.org. There, you'll find a variety of ways you can get involved and be part of the solution to eradicate child sex trafficking in America by 2030. A big welcome to Christy and Brittany. Thank you both for seeking me out to share the good news and the hope, the light in the midst of and despite the trauma of child sex trafficking in the United States. And I got to be honest, I don't like talking about this topic. I read about it in the news. I am devastated. It crushes my heart, but yet I feel helpless I don't know what to do. I can't make a difference. And so then I shut it off. I don't even look in that direction because it makes me feel so bad not to be able to make that difference. Before we get started with all the various ways that Safe House Project is making a difference in the lives of survivors of child sex trafficking, let's lay a little bit of groundwork. What is the motivating passion behind Safe House Project? Is it that you have a moral compass and you can see the difference between right and wrong? Or is it that you know the moral lawgiver and you see beyond that and into intrinsic value? Christy? That's a great question. When Brittany and I began Safe House Project, we both had seen sex trafficking internationally and a little bit domestically. And our desire to respond came from exactly what you just said, understanding that Every one of these individuals, whether they were international or whether they were here domestically, had dignity and value and worth as a human being, as a child of God, and not as a commodity. And it was out of knowing who God says that they are, that we were compelled 
to act. Brittany, do you have any thoughts about that? I think I would just go to the point too, where it says that we're responsible to care for the widows and the orphans. And when we look the other way, and when we choose not to engage, we're not being obedient to where God has called us to go. And so I think for Christy and I and our co-founders, it was really operating from a point of saying, the last thing that we ever want to do is be even one degree outside of the will of God of where he's calling us as um, individuals, as co-founders of this organization, or as our families. That's a big why that keeps you motivated, even when it gets really tough. What was the starting point in your world for this crisis to get your attention? It sounds like you travel internationally and domestically. We both have kind of different genesis for our stories. Uh, me, it was, I was 16 years old and I was um, on a missions trip in Costa Rica and I saw children as young as six that were being sold in the commercial sex trade, oftentimes by family members. And that was a seed that God planted in my heart that never, um, he never let it go. And I always knew that that was something I was supposed to respond to, but I always thought it was something that it uh, existed internationally. And so when we got together to partner with a friend to support a safe house in South Africa, people kept coming to us saying, well, what are you going to do domestically? And Brittany and I came from varying corporate America backgrounds, and we really didn't have an answer. So we became students of the industry domestically to really understand this. And it was when we saw how much it was happening here that we quite honestly, flipped our lives on end. But we always have kind of joked that we kind of ran away and joined the circus. And we began the fight against domestic trafficking uh, and child sex trafficking here in America. But Brittany has her own story about how she really had seen this initially. I've had the opportunity to work with a few different organizations around the United States. Christy and I are both military spouses, and so we get to move every two to three years, and that gives us the unique perspective of learning about different communities. But the last one that we lived in before moving out to Virginia, where I met Christy, was outside of Reno, Nevada, where the brothels are still legal. And so I was watching the madam of the brothel recruit these young girls right out of the high schools. I think it was the normalization of that behavior and the just acceptance that that was okay, that really, you know, lit something deep inside of me to say, okay, if that is where the trajectory that we're on is to normalize child trafficking, then we have to put an end to it. Like there isn't anything in me that should allow for that to exist. And so it, it was really responding to the deep evil that we were seeing. And deep evil it is for sure. So you ladies get connected together. How do y'all find each other with this common theme? <laughs> I think God just had a very specific vision of what our friendship and our relationship <laughs> was to be. We were in a Bible study together, our uh, husbands and a number of other couples. And when we started supporting the efforts in South Africa, there were lots of conversations that were being had in our life group and a couple of conversations that Brittany and I had had, but quite honestly, I don't think either of us fully knows how it happened. God just kind of meshed us together. She was our, I can tell you both of our husbands deployed at the same time. Uh, there's a third gal who was part of our founding, uh, her husband deployed. So we had three husbands deployed and seven children under the age of seven. That's not the time that you launched a national organization no. to combat trafficking, but God was speaking. And to Brittany's point, we were all kind of terrified to be one degree outside of his will. Brittany was on maternity leave with a three week old wow. from her job in corporate America. And God said, go. And we got to the point that we couldn't come up with a good reason to tell God no, right, Britt? <laughs> yeah, it was quite the season. And I honestly, I was like, wow, you did it while your husbands are deployed. I think that was the biggest blessing. I mean, it, we're looking back, I think that this would not have taken off in the way that it did if we didn't have this season where God set us, our husbands on their own path at that moment. And Christy and I really, it was iron sharpens iron. And mm. so we would spend days and evenings walking the neighborhood and watching all of our kids run out in front of us, you know, 
baby in the um, Bjorn and just talking and going, okay, do we feel like this is where God is taking us or is this the path? And so it was deep discernment and it was deep times of reflection and just seeking wisdom. And so we had three months of just saying, okay, we are going to pour our lives into praying over this, praying for this and learning everything we can. And so that season is a huge blessing that many people aren't afforded when they start something new. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to balance these other expectations. We just made dinner together. We just threw kids in the bath together. Like it was just life together. We had met each other or we had been in Bible study together, but we'd had one dinner together before we started this adventure. And now we (laughs) holiday with each other. So you never know what God has in store for your friendships either. That's true. You're exactly right. He's always working. Everything's purposeful. Everything has a benefit, a season or a a blessing throughout your lifetime. I was getting ready to ask you what the tipping point is, but it sounds like one degree outside of God's will terrified you enough that you sent you into this inquiry of him and developing the plan. So that's an exciting time. But seven children under seven years of age, that terrifies me. (laughs) We barely made it out alive. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I love about Safe House Project that makes me feel like I can help, I can make a difference, is your training. You guys partnered with Maloof. Is that the right way to say it? Brittany, talk to me a little bit about Maloof. Yeah, we have this beautiful partnership with the Maloof Foundation out of Utah, And really both operate from a heartbeat of wanting to see trafficking eradicated through true education. We know that there's a lot of misinformation out there around what child trafficking is and how it presents in our community. And so when COVID hit, also a blessing in a lot of ways for us, it forced us to think differently. And so Christy and I had trained over 10,000 people in person the year prior, but all of a sudden our hundreds of speaking engagements evaporated overnight. And so we had the opportunity to either say, okay, we're going to step back from training or we're going to lean in. And we were really blessed to have already a a friendship and a partnership with Maloof. And so when we said we really want to take all of this incredible content that we have and all these survivor stories and bring it into a digital training platform, they responded and said, great. We have video teams. We have resources. Like let's jump in and do this. And so that's really the, where that started, but what was even more impactful and more incredible about that experience is that we were able to work with 15 survivors on, um, helping them craft that training. So Mm -hmm. we were really just supporting them and facilitating them being able to come out and be the experts in the industry. And so it is the only completely survivor led training that is available addressing the domestic issue in really a very consumable format. Very much so. Cause it's so easy. And I think the amount of time is even like, wow, I can do this. I can put this in my calendar, in my schedule. Christy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that thought? It's Malib? just been incredible to see. I mean, Malib's been an incredible partner, but we launched that in September and to date it's trained 17,000 people wow. and our heartbeat in the why We want to elevate education is truly to increase that victim identification above 1%. And what's been exciting is that it's been working. Mm. We've had, especially during COVID, especially during a time that we have seen a 40% increase in child trafficking across America. We have also, because of OnWatch, seen survivor identification start to increase. We've seen more rescues coming out. Our team does a lot of extractions and helping survivors get to safe places and getting into safe houses. And we see, have seen an increase in that, but thankfully it's because people are understanding the signs and indicators more than what they did before. And that is the true heartbeat. I think even just having that element to be able to identify that makes me feel like I'm making a difference. I might not be able to be a mentor or have a safe house because you guys have many ways for people to come alongside you and support this mission. And the mission is pretty aggressive. If you ask me, eradicating child sex trafficking in the United States by 2030. Is that correct? Do I have that right? Mm -hmm. That's aggressive. But when I look at your website and I look at all the different ways that people can come alongside you, can learn from you, can partner with you. I'm like, I think that's possible, but it seems overwhelming to me. But 
That's why God gives you big passion when you're young. <laughs> the other part too, though, is that God has always told us to have a vision bigger than our resources. Mm-hmm. And I think the yeah. reason that you are, that he requires that of us is because if we were trying to do it in our own strength or based on our own timelines, we couldn't do it. And so there's always the God factor in everything that you do. And so when you put those big visions out on the line, you are creating opportunities for other people to witness miracles. You are creating opportunities for God to show up and show off. And at the end of the day, that's not going to reflect on me or Christy or safe house project. It reflects the big God that we serve and his ability to step in and create Ebenezer moments in all of our lives that we can look back and cling to when things do get tough because they do. And so I think that that is why we want to cast big vision is because we want people to see that it isn't because of us. We want to have them see the big God that we serve Mm -hmm. and then also feel like, okay, they can't do that alone. And it depends on collaboration. It isn't about safe house project ending child trafficking by 2030 about a coalition of partners coming together and everybody saying, this is my little piece that I can do today right. in order to achieve that goal. Christy and I can't eradicate child trafficking by 2030. Right. We got that. We know that, but we know that our God can. Right. Amen to that. I'm all pumped up now. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Christy, about putting the burden on God to do his thing through you? Yeah. I think that's honestly been the most exciting thing is to honestly, fully come to the recognition that we are completely inadequate and completely called, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that old adage, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called Brittany and I are leading a Bible study right now. And it's so funny to go through this because it's the study is on when God says go and you say no, because you are fearful for your safety. You are fearful that you don't feel equipped. Your past is holding you back because It's telling you that you aren't qualified or you are too dirty to step into that space. And so we were talking the other day about when God called Moses to go set the people of Israel free, he didn't say, I want you to go free my people. He said, I'm going to free my people. Basically go get them. Like Mm -hmm. your job's to lead them out, but I'm already doing the work and I am already setting the captives free. And I think that's the thing is that our job is to co-labor with God we work like it depends on us and we pray like it depends on him. And we know completely where our limitations are. We're very keenly aware of our limitations, but it's so exciting to know our limitations, but know the vision God's calling us to, because then there's this massive space that you just get to wait and see how God's going to fill it. And it's so cool because he does it over and over and over again. That we always say we have good Fridays. It's every single Friday for the last three years where we get to, just miracles pour in on Fridays. Don't know why it's just what God does, but we just always get to see God show up and be King over this. Jesus keeps pouring out his goodness, Mm -hmm. which is one of the things I'm thankful for in my life that despite my lack of faith at times or my faults, my brokenness, he continually pours himself out. He never withholds always himself, always giving. What are some of the tough questions you've had to go to the good God and ask him because you guys see a lot of stuff and it doesn't add up when we talk about a good God. Does anything come to mind at this moment that you've had to ask God about or have a difficult conversation with the Lord? Brittany, do you have anything on your mind? I think we have those conversations with God every single day. I don't (laughs) think we can walk alongside survivors or even our own trials in this and not have those questions. I think that for me, you know, we have walked along quite a few survivors who are victims of satanic ritual abuse and trafficking. And those are the cases where you see not just the physical evil of this crime, but the spiritual warfare elements that come into play. And you are not just, you are battling on so many different fronts comes to that intersection of evil. I think that's the one where when you are looking at these young, young kids and they are so broken from things that were perpetrated against them, it's asking them to believe in a God that is so much bigger than what they went through and having to remind them of their identity and strip away all of the things that were, they were told that they are. I will never truly, I understand why it's there on this side of heaven 
but it is one when getting to heaven, it'll be a serious sit down to say, okay, God, what allowed for those kids to be the ones and how can a mother or a parent do it to their child? Like that's the other part. I just, as a mother, I do not understand the familial trafficking part of this. I can't even wrap my mind around that in a million years. Christy, do you have anything that stands out for you right now, a struggle that you've had with the Lord or a question that you've gone to him with? It's been very difficult to make sense of. The idea of why, why God, why this, why this evil? I mean, that's a, to Brittany's point, that's an everyday, like a blanket, like, okay. But quite honestly, I think we've almost gotten a little bit past that and gone, okay, there's evil in the world. There's brokenness. There is. And and child trafficking is something that we look back and it is a thread that is woven throughout the Bible that a lot of people don't know it's there. But if you truly look at some of the stories, you see there are times that prophets are calling out other nations or they're calling out Israel for you are selling your children for sex. You see it in the Bible. And so you realize that the battle that we wage and the evil that is there is not new. Sex is something that God created to be beautiful. And sin is the perversion of something that God intended to be beautiful. And this is truly the deepest perversion of that. So once I get my head around that, then I think the bigger question that we ask God more times that is actionable is, okay, God, that evil's there. What do you want us to do? How are we going to push against the darkness? Where do you want us to step in and where do we need to step back and go, this isn't my battle to fight. God said, sit down and I'm going to handle this one. And so it is us constantly discerning where we engage in that fight and where (laughs) we're like, oh God, this one's you, but it's all, all for the purposes of his glory. And so our question is, okay, God, how are you going to be glorified in this? And when we, when that becomes the question, what do I do Mm. and how are you going to be glorified in this? Then hope is about responsibility and control. And our hope in God is understanding where our responsibility is or isn't and understanding where we do and don't have control and stepping into that. And I believe God is going to be glorified in so much evil because he wins. Mm. We get to see God win in the lives of these survivors over and over and over again. Our justice system is completely screwed up and completely broken. And I hope that we can see that fixed on this side of heaven, but where the glory comes in and the sanctification and the redemption comes in is what we see God do in the lives of the survivors. And that is incredible. And that's what keeps you going, but you make, (laughs) you make a good point to be distinguishing what God wants you to take action in and what you want to sit back. You guys are facing literally eyeball to eyeball with evil. You are walking into some very tender territory that if you step out in a place where God's not calling you to step out in, you could potentially be at risk. I can see that that would be taking on something you were not asked to take on to shoulder and burden. So you, you ladies are walking in some deep wisdom there. It's nice that you have that support system of each other and standing together in prayer and holding each other up and praying protection over you, your families, things like that. I have a friend who's interested after finding out that I'm going to get a chance to talk to y'all and we're looking at your material. She's interested in uh, inquiring more about a safe house. Talk to us a little bit about a safe house. Brittany, do you have anything to say about what is a safe house? How do people operate a safe house? Yeah. So safe houses, they're beautiful. That's always my heartbeat behind them, but they are considered long-term restorative care homes and they are a 12 to 18 month program where a survivor gets to go and gets to start their healing journey. And there are so many aspects of that. We work on education recovery. We help with different therapy. We deploy different modalities, trying to meet the individual where they're at and help them unpack all of the trauma that they've endured. It is about medical and dental care and life skill training. Some of these kids who come to us, they've been trafficked since they were six years old or 10 years old. They've missed years of school. They have never been taught how to brush their teeth or make their bed or even use the microwave. I mean, we're talking about very simple stuff. Right. Uh, practical life skills that they don't know. And so that's what happens in a, in a safe house is it is helping them establish a new normal, but it's all surrounded with love and people who 
deeply care, not just about, can you make your bed in the morning? Can you brush your teeth? Are we going to get you through your GED program? They are there to be their support system on every single level and do life with these kids. And so that is what a safe house is. And it is a place that when these survivors step into it, we just hope that they feel the deep love of God and of the people who have chosen to walk alongside them. Christy, your thoughts? One thing, and Brittany hit on really what is the the primary uh, safe house that we get to see open and that we want to see open because long-term restorative care is so critical for survivors. When we are helping launch safe houses across America, we fund and we mentor the launch of new safe houses. So we don't operate any of them, but what we are trying to develop in each state is what's called a continuum of care because you have that emergency stage, that immediately they have gotten out of their trafficking situation to sometimes the first three weeks, 90 days, somewhere in that short-term period Mm -hmm. where that is stabilization. That is figuring out who you are, getting that, those basic needs, that food, shelter, clothing, safety, all of those needs met. You're figuring out what was your last point of education? What are your dreams? What do you want to do? And then that is one type of safe house, what we call an emergency house. Then you have a long-term home, which is what Brittany beautifully described. And then you've got a transitional home. Sometimes once they've gotten through that restorative care home, almost like a, a halfway house is probably a poor description of it, but it's that it's a launching point to help them get into economic empowerment or getting into college and having a safe place to stay uh, and making sure that they have that support system and still some of those wraparound services and therapy to make sure that they are still equipped to move forward in into the real world because these survivors are fighters and they want a life. They had dreams and visions when they were young and it takes them fighting to find those. And then somebody in a support system coming around them to help them go after those. And so that continuum of care for adults or for minors is what we want to see set up across the United States. And some of these programs are really big. There's a couple of them that are 54 acres with, you know, 12 cottages each a uh, cottage has, you know, four survivors in it, their own house guardians. It's its own little ecosystem, but it plays into the larger property that has maybe a school and a chapel and all of these things. And sometimes you're dealing with one of these long-term restorative care homes that it is, you know, in a small, uh, not small, but in, in a, uh, a smaller home that maybe is built for, you know, maybe five rooms or something like that for these survivors to get that care And it's its own individual ecosystem in, you know, a rural community in Montana that's just built to give these girls a place of respite. So they look different, but the defining characteristic of a safe house, the thing that sets it apart is love Hmm. because love is the thing that is going to break the shackles of shame that have held these survivors captive for so long. Hmm. And that is where you see true lives transformed. And I had a survivor say one time, she said, it doesn't matter how shiny the program is. It doesn't matter how beautiful the bedding is. It doesn't matter how white the walls are. Hmm. It is the love that we feel when we walk into the safe house that is going to transform us. And so that's the beautiful thing is that when Brittany said it's beautiful, it's not that it's physically beautiful. It is the heartbeats of the people that are the boots on the ground that wrap their arms around these survivors and say, I see you and I know you're hurt and I'm going to do everything in my power to make it better. And that's the beautiful thing that we get to support across the United States. Just to give somebody their dreams back. Yes. People forget it's real to forget how to dream. So that's precious. And then it's God's overwhelming love. Mm-hmm or God's love that overwhelms us and that we respond to that. And you guys use art as well, art therapy. So that's a, that's awesome too. But now it sounds like you need to be really qualified to have one of these safe houses. What are the requirements for someone who wants to operate, run, live in? I think the thing is that everybody who operates this or who is considering this tends to say I'm not qualified. And What we have found more than anything in this industry is that this industry is led by people, quite honestly, who are a lot like us that had one vision of what their life was going to look like and the direction that they were headed. And then God hijacked it and put them on a different path. And they said, God, I'm not qualified. And he says, I said, go. And they go, okay, I'm going to go. And so God has a lot of the executive directors of these programs or the founders of these programs are people that 
God gave a vision to. Sometimes they came from corporate America. Sometimes they were pastors. Sometimes they were maybe nurses or, you know, every now and then a social worker. But what's beautiful is that when you've got that person who has the vision that God has given them, that person's a unique person. Mm -hmm. But then what's beautiful is to see how God also will bring along the support because you do have to have the social workers and the case managers, and you do have to have the the medical staff and those kind of things. But one person does not have to be all of those one that founder or that executive executive director, quite honestly, I'd say their biggest qualifier is that they have to be obedient to what the Lord's called them to do because it's hard work. And that doesn't mean uh, that somebody has to be faith-based, but I will tell you that vast majority, probably about 98% of the restorative care homes in America are faith-based or faith-founded. And it's just God's heartbeat and God infusing that into people and changing the trajectory of their lives and then giving them a vision for what they're going to do that then allows them to build up a program. Brittany, did you have anything to add to that as far as being qualified to head up one of the safe houses? I think the other part of that is that, you know, that's why we love our job is that we get to come alongside people and say, I want to see your vision come to fruition. I want to see whatever God placed in you um, be something that is realized because there's a, there's a lack of capacity. And so we get to kind of help people knit together their dream. They come with this big vision and we get to say, okay, great. You want to open a miner's home. We have a program that we really respect over here that is doing something similar. Like you don't have to walk this journey alone. We have incredible people that you can learn from. And then you take little parts of everybody's program and something new is created, but the learning curve is not nearly as steep as it was for those first movers in early 2000 who said, I have no idea if this is even a thing, but we're going to go try this. Those <laughs> pioneers did it without any real understanding of what they were building. And now we have the opportunity to take and build on that and help other people get their doors open faster. Okay. All right. You said that there's faith-based, some are faith-initiated and others are faith-based. Can they implement faith into the art therapy? Can they mention the God of the Holy Bible? Absolutely. Because these are individual 501c3s, oftentimes they will found sometimes under a church or they will found as a faith-based entity. And so they get to develop their program. Now, oftentimes they're working with state licensing to get approved. And so the states do want to see what their programs are. And I think the main thing is absolutely they can mention faith and and the spiritual component is a massive piece of a healing journey. And I think any state entity, faith-based or not, is going to agree that the spiritual healing of somebody is still a part of that holistic healing. But these faith-based programs do have the ability to present faith as an option. Now, I will say we don't back anybody who tries to force salvation on somebody, because that is a true personal decision. And these survivors have had choice removed from them constantly. And so it's a fine balance of presenting the gospel, presenting the God of hope and peace and restoration and redemption in a positive way that makes it something that the survivor wants to choose, but it is still their choice. And so I think vast majority of the programs in the United States do a great job of presenting that as an option, but not making that um, a prerequisite for healing to be available to that survivor. Right. Brittany, let me ask you this. How do you get a young person to be vulnerable? Because I think it takes vulnerability to heal at least a portion of that to heal. How do you get a young person to say, I'll be vulnerable with you when it has not been safe to be vulnerable. It's a great question. I think that so much of that, it takes time to build trust. And it, the first thing that happens in that emergency phase is trying to break down trauma bonding. And so often a survivor is going to experience Stockholm syndrome as it's historically named, and they're going to identify with their trafficker. And so you have to be there willing to sit in the pain with them. You have to build those trust relationships. Trust isn't earned overnight and it has to be built and it has to be continually cultivated. Mm -hmm. All of the survivors that we walk alongside, we 
continually remind them that we are standing shoulder to shoulder with them. We aren't out in front of them and we're not coming up behind them. We Mm -hmm. are walking in relationship with them. And so it isn't about us telling them their next step. It's about us asking them to Christy's point, returning choice to them, building their um, sense of self and helping them um, figure out who they are, who they Mm -hmm. are outside of their trafficking situation, their identity, who do they want to be? And when you do that, and when you're asking them questions and not telling them something, they become more vulnerable with you and they are willing to process through whatever they're working through. Sounds like you really have to put off any sort of offense between behavior and what has happened to them. Christy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? It's just as Brittany said, for them to show their vulnerabilities, you have to show your heart. You know, nobody cares how much you you know, till they know how much you care. And I think that's where those who work in the safe houses do an incredible job of getting down on eye level, maybe a terrible example, but that's what they teach you when you are dealing with your toddlers and you are teaching them to communicate is you've got to get down on their level and look them in the eye, make them feel safe. Not that you're towering over them, but say, I am here and I see you. And I think that is, we ask survivors all the time, who was the person or what was the moment that you felt like you really wanted a life of freedom? Because some of them, they've been kind of held in a mental captivity sometimes for so long that choosing freedom is a scary choice. And they always go back to the exact person in the exact moment that showed them that they had dignity and value and worth as a human being and not as a commodity. It was the first time that they were seen that they decided to choose freedom because it was something that shocked them so much. They'd never had that before. And so I think that is, there are different ways to cultivate it, but I think that is the objective that you're getting towards is getting them to see that you care Mm -hmm. enough to fight for them. When you ask them the question about when was the moment that you had that feeling that you wanted freedom, has it been your experience that all of them so far have a moment like that for them? No, I mean, I think that each of them, it can look very different. And there are times when they want freedom. And then in the same breath, they do not want freedom. They want to go back. And so you're dealing with trauma brain, as most of them call it. They're like, either there's going to be moments where I love you, and there are going to be moments where I hate you. And Mm -hmm. in the same way, like you have survivors who are like, yes, I want to step into that in this moment. And then the next part is, say, no, I don't. And it gets hard. And every program always has, they always kind of know their own cadence for their program of like, okay, after three hours or three days or three weeks, I expect the backlash to come where they're Mm -hmm. going to try and push against the freedom or push against the program. And so each of that, it's usually different. The data is still limited. Most times we say it's three, three, and three for boys, six, six, and six for girls, but it's not always that, but it's, it is, it's those moments of change or it's those moments where they've been in it just long enough that they're starting to get restless. And so, you know, as you said, we work through the behavioral challenges, the emotional outbursts, all of it, and try to bring them back to what do you want and where, how can we best serve you? And so it's just, open lines of communication and continuing to show them that we are going to stand and fight with them every day. And sometimes all you can do is stand. I mean, we're going to do that. Christy, what's the perfect day for you for Safe House Project? In three years of working in this organization, I think Brittany and I can safely say that no day has ever been the same. Um, there is there is no, um, God is constantly surprising us in who we work with in the beauty and the pain, you know, there are times that we face things that break us. I mean, and it takes a lot now to, for Brittany and I to have a day that we feel broken, but we have those days, but then we also, I wouldn't even say those make it a bad day because then that's where we see our weakness and God's strength. And then it's a good day or it's a better day. And and you are reminded who you're co-laboring with. I think the days that have the elements that make us the happiest. Yes. We love when great corporations come alongside and decide they want to work with us to 
raise awareness and education throughout their corporation. And you're going to see hundreds of thousands of people trained. Love when that happens. We love when um, we see on watch growing. We love when we see safe houses opening. But I think the days that we fight for are the days that we see a survivor placed into a safe house that we help get a survivor out. Doesn't matter what the rest of the day holds. If we have been able to accomplish that piece with a survivor and provide those services, it's a win. What about you, Brittany? Yeah, I think it, it definitely has to go back to the survivors for me as well. And I think for me, though, I love walking along survivors who are working towards economic empowerment or who are fighting for their dreams or who have gone through a safe house program and are trying to figure out what's next. And so some of my favorite conversations with them is, okay, I've gotten this far. Now, how do I keep going? And how do I get back to the survivor community? Or how do I, um, you know, we have some who've gone into law enforcement. We have others who have gone and become counselors. They are giving back in their own ways. And not all of them have to be out there as speakers or as survivor leaders. They're just so excited to be part of the survivor community. And I love getting to dream with them. I think those are some of my highlights. Do you ever have moments when you feel like you're being defeated on the grand scale of things? Brittany, (laughs) Uh, both of you kind of (laughs) looked at me like, what? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yes. I mean, I think that we're human. Like there's nothing about this that every, like there are definitely challenges. And there are days when this feels like it hits too close to home. And there are days when, you know, you have walked through processing with a young survivor, and then you have to look at your own children who are not that much younger or older than that child when it began for them. And you have to sit in it and you have to carry the vicarious trauma to some level, but you have to figure out how to do that well. And you have to figure out how to not let the shards that you've picked up from other people's brokenness cut those that are trying to support you and love you as you walk through this journey. And so I think those are the hard, those are the moments when I feel the most human in this is when I realize that I have picked up somebody else's broken shards and then I'm unintentionally taking that out on my husband or my kids or those who are supporting me from behind right. this journey. And when I realize that I have let the vicarious trauma uh, um, overtake me and I haven't done the work for self-care, those are the, those are the moments where I feel m- most human, I mm-hmm. guess, and most weighted by my response to somebody else's pain. What are you talking to God about in moments like that? Usually it's about my own sin in it, because at that point I realized that I have taken control from God and I have assumed his responsibility in this, that it's my burden to carry somebody else's shards, even though that's not mine is to help walk alongside them and support them. But God has to fix the broken pieces in each of us. And so when I pick up those pieces, I'm telling God that I don't believe that he can do that job. I'm Mm -hmm. telling him that I don't have enough faith in his ability to heal. And so I have to lay those back down. And I think that's a daily battle is laying down all of my own shards plus somebody else's Mm -hmm. and making sure that I am not hurting other people through the work that I feel called to do. It sounds like you have to really walk in tune with God and just your internal struggle, your weakness or brokenness, whatever that may be, and how it integrates into what you do and what you see. Christy, what about you? Are there days when you feel defeated? And if so, what are you saying to God? There are absolutely days we feel defeated. First of all, I think Brittany just said so much of what we carry so beautifully. I think there are days, Brittany, I've had some, I wouldn't even call them days. You know, we can pretty well tell by a Tuesday, what our week's going to look like. If it starts on a Monday morning or a Sunday night and certain activities are happening, then we go, okay, this is going to be a week. And to Britt's point, when we are doing something and we are pushing against the darkness, it is hard. But when we try to operate that in our own strength Mm. or just in the two of us, 
then that is where we are going to get crushed. I mean, we've, we've said in the past that there have been times that we feel like there is this massive tsunami of darkness and it's just the two of us pushing against it. And that's not what we were called to. Brittany and I were called to lead this organization, but God has specifically surrounded us with people to pray. It is not our job to press against the darkness on our own because it's not our job to see the miracles on our own and the breakthrough Mm -hmm. on our own. And so we have to be willing. We can't try to protect other people from the hard, because if we do, we're going to block their ability to see the miracles and the breakthrough. Everything always comes back. Brittany and I are, we're military spouses. We've been forced to have to do all kinds of things on our own, where we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we go. And that's very much how, I mean, we've strapped this organization to our back and we have built it with God, but we are our strongest. If you want to go fast, go alone. If we want to go far, go together. And we are constantly reminded of our own limitations in that and the strength in the community that surrounds us to pray. Um, So when we get stubborn and we try to do things on our own, that's where we fall apart. Basically, (laughs) when we rely on, rely on the Lord, rely on his strength, and then bring in that powerful community to pray with us, then that's where we see power and breakthrough. When you're describing that, when you're trying to do things on your own and in your own power and you get ahead of the Lord, I don't carry the burden that you ladies do, but I do that in my own life, my own daily life. I get ahead of the Lord or start thinking it's my job. And that's when I become overwhelmed. I become burdened. I feel broken about it. And I'm not making a difference. And a big sob story happens. And then you regroup and you get back to the Lord, spend some quiet time with him, let him get you straight. There's even more to Safe House Project. There's mentorships. There's, like you're saying, come alongside to pray and support you in prayer. We talked about the training. We talked about the Safe House. What is something else, Brittany, that you guys have? So one of the big things that we're moving toward right now is just really trying to equip community and people to be advocates and ambassadors in their own community. Our goal is to see a free nation. And so Mm -hmm. we need people to get out there and organize a march on July 30th to bring people together to educate in their communities. And so we really believe that it's all hands on deck. Like we need everybody and everybody has a gifting. And so usually we work with volunteers and we say, where, what do you enjoy? Where do you feel that God is calling you to use your time, talent, or treasure in order to serve this? It's been amazing because there's a lot of people who come into us and they go, I think this is what I want to do. And then we tell them more about what we do or work with them. And they're like, I didn't even realize I have all of this over here that I can be using to serve this purpose. And so we get to see people grow in their ideas. And there are so many, like we have one gal who came and she's like, I just really want to equip. She's a survivor. She's like, I really want to help equip other survivors to have a, um, a service dog we're like, okay, well, that's not really in our, like, we haven't really worked with that. And she's like, I'm going to go find somebody who's going to train service dogs for survivors for free. And I'm going to get them to donate service dogs. She came in this week and she's like, I have somebody who's going to donate eight to 10 service dogs to survivors this year. And so those are amazing things because that's ways that we can just say, okay, great. Let's equip the next person and the next person to do what they feel uniquely called in this larger picture. Because when we're all acting in our the own strengths that God has given us, then we are going to be more effective than if we try to take a volunteer over here and put them over here. And that's not where God calls you to. Right. Nice. Nice. Christy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah. I mean, when Brittany and I built this organization, as I said, we didn't have experience as social workers or working in this industry or doing all of the things that we are told that you need to do. God had given each of us a specific tool belt and said, go. And we didn't say, I mean, we tried, we said, God, like really thinks we don't have any other things that we think we need. And God said, no, no, I gave you what you need go. And so I think what I would encourage anybody listening to um, evaluate is not what new skill do I need to build, Mm. but what skills has God given me that I can use because God's built so many people. So uniquely, we had this incredible guy who came to us. And he said, God told me I need to volunteer with an anti-trafficking organization. Turns out he and I went to high school together, but he, um, he said, God told me I need to, to volunteer. And I, I don't know, what can I do something four hours a week? 
Well, we have our entire business side of our organization that engages with corporate America and does all of these corporate trainings. And that's something that Brittany and I have run for a long time, but we didn't have bandwidth. Well, this guy's background in corporate America was exactly the toolkit that was needed to run that division. And now he runs that uh, for us. And it's incredible to see, but it wasn't him abandoning the tool set the toolkit that God had built in years of corporate America, it was God using that for his time and for his glory. And so we're not looking to make a mechanic a fundraiser. Like that's not what we try to do. There are ways that people can fundraise. If that's their talent, then absolutely they can do that. If they are somebody who says, you know what, I have a local alarm system company or I build fences And I don't know how I can help. Those are the calls that Brittany and I love to get because we get to see what God does. I mean, I will exactly example. I will have a company who reaches out to me and says, I have an alarm system company. I don't know what I can do, but I'm here to offer. And that is the day after another group has called me and said, Christy, we really need an alarm system. That's the last piece we need to get the safe house open. And so we just happen to be the central repository for people saying, God gave me this, or I need this. And we just get to match those things up together all the time. And it's like the best puzzle ever. As we wrap up our time together, I'm feeling much more encouraged. I'm feeling more interested in getting engaged to see what you ladies are up to and exactly how I can fit in to the the equation. But let me ask you one question as we part. When you think about the work you're doing and the journey you're on, can you think of something beautiful that God said to you in the dark moment or in a dark time when you needed especially to be encouraged and to be lifted and to be motivated and be loved on yourself? Can you think of that, Brittany? I'm going to throw it to Christy really quick. I can tell she has it already. God said, I will fight. You need only be still. There have been those times that, again, we have just felt crushed by the darkness. And I mean, there are times that it leaves us mad and raging and ready to fight. And then there are times that it leaves us crumpled in a puddle. And it is in those times that God comes along and says, I am here and I have this fight and you need only be still. And those are the times that you just feel Abba Father and you just feel that goodness of God that it is him who leads this fight. It is him who gets the glory and we just get to be a part of it. Brittany, did you want to add anything? I don't want to cut you off if something came to mind. I think for me, it's been that I am victorious. Like Mm. the battle is won. Like we get to operate from a place of victory. And so even though the battle is hard, we get to at least know that he, he has done it. He paid the ultimate sacrifice and we only have to endure it this side of heaven. And so our, our only job is to operate from the authority that Christ gave us on the cross. Thank you, ladies. I so appreciate your time today and just pouring out your knowledge and your information. I'm going to be lifting you in prayer and may God continue to show himself to you, to love on you extravagantly and to love on the ministry that you're doing and the young people that come into your path. Y'all take care. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, A Life of thrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.